This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Terry McCauley, a former longtime NFL official who now is the rules expert for NBC during Sunday night NFL games and Notre Dame games on Saturdays. McCauley also worked as an official in the Atlantic Coast Conference and was coordinator of officials for the Big East and American Athletic Conference for nearly a decade before moving into TV. We'll talk to him about some proposed changes to NCAA rules that came out last week. We'll talk targeting, replay review, and players faking injuries. And we'll get into the state of officiating in general throughout football, but especially at the major college level. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is Terry McCauley. He is a was an NFL official for about 20 years, worked in the ACC for a while before that, was a coordinator of officials for the Big East and then the American Athletic Conference. Uh, and now he, like a lot of people who do that job really well, is a TV star. <laughs> so, Terry, <laughs> thanks very much for joining me. I hope you're enjoying. You're two years into your new life on TV, or, or was last year your first year? Please no, remind I just me of that. completed my second year Okay, okay. Uh, of of commenting on officiating okay how have you liked that transition before we get into you know some of the nuts and bolts of what's going on on the college side of the game but how have you liked that transition to tv i I really absolutely love it i first of all i am you know incredibly lucky to be with you know the nbc you know on on sunday nights i work with the great al michaels and chris consworth and and obviously our executive producer freddie gadelli and then on, on Saturdays with Notre Dame home games with Mike Tirico and, and the inimitable Doug Flutie and, and, and that whole team is, I, I tell you what, I, 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 I think I've died and gone to heaven uh, with, this, with these, uh, these great people I get to work with. Well, we enjoy hearing you. I feel like the, one of the things that makes you good at that job is you're a person who, and listen, I understand a lot of officials tend to be very measured because that's sort of the nature of the job. But I always felt like even when you were doing the job of coordinator of officials, you were somewhat outspoken and you would push for changes when you thought that there were changes. So I, I always felt like your personality made for a good transition into the booth. And we've enjoyed hearing you do your work at your new gig. Oh, great! Thanks. I, I, it's, it's, it's awesome, and and I do try. I, I really do. It's, I have a, it, it's, it's either right or wrong, and 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 whatever I can bring to the audience, you know, here's the rule, here's how it applies to this play, and they did, did they, in my opinion, get it right or wrong, and I, I think that matters, uh, and and even, you know, even when I, I do point out that it's wrong, well, 
that's important because the next guy gets it right, then I get to point out that they got it right, and I'm consistent, and everybody has credibility. So let me get into the again. We're going to concentrate on the college side of officiating, where you worked as a college coordinator, uh, coordinator of officials for about ten years. Last week, there were some, you know, some proposed new rules for college coming into the new season. Honestly, nothing all that groundbreaking or earth shattering, but there was one thing that they said that they didn't do which made some waves and, and some news and caught some headlines. And that is the, the rules committee, the NCAA rules committee, uh, led by Steve Shaw, who's now the NCAA coordinator of officials, and David Shaw, the Stanford football coach, and a panel of others. So they talked a lot about this idea of faking injuries, defenses faking injuries, feigning injuries, flopping, whatever you want to call it, to slow down fast-paced offenses. And it's become something that we notice a lot more often. But they also said that as of right now, they're not going to make any new rules around it because it's just a tricky place to make rules. So I wanted to ask you, what are the challenges to trying to get that stopped without necessarily legislating against it? That was a word I used, legislating, and I'm not sure if that's even the right word. But, But the idea of trying to contain that from an official's standpoint, can it be done? I, I don't think so, Ralph. I, I've, I've been through this as a coordinator and, and seen some, some uh, incidents that, that bordered, certainly bordered on unethical in my mind. But you're always coming down to this fundamental problem of the player may really be hurt. And, 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 and I don't think you can ever have an official or an officiating crew get involved in making that determination, no matter how obvious it may be. Uh, and, and I will give you one, one real quick example, and, and I know it was in a Rutgers game, I don't remember who they were playing, years ago where a player did indeed fall down late. And, and it gave the, the appearance uh, that, that there was something going on. And then when we back, went back and looked at the video, there indeed was something that happened to him during the previous play. And it was, you know, these players are pretty tough. It was absolutely on the level. No mm-hmm. question about it. So everybody had this thought at the time, well, you know, something, something untoward is going on, but it really wasn't. And you're, all, you're always going to have that issue. You know, there, you're, there's so, so for officiating and rules to get involved in, 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 in having some, some authority in determining that, is is incredibly problematic. Right. I think from the idea of maybe dropping flags, I know they, they've actually gotten to the point now in, in hockey and in, and in soccer, they're able to card or penalize flopping. But again, I think in those situations, more often than not, an official might have a good view of it, right? And he, he can see a player fall to the ground trying to draw a penalty or fall to the ice trying to draw a penalty, and they'll drop a, a penalty on that player for for flopping. So let's remove it from that. One of the things that they had talked about, though, not necessarily flagging teams for faking, but the idea that, well, maybe what we could do is if you come out of a game, if you go down, you have to come out and you have to sit out. That's fine. You have to sit out at least one play. But maybe what we could do to discourage this idea of you know taking a flop is now you have to sit out 
four plays or three plays or maybe the rest of a series. Now, again, that seems like it could be a way of discouraging this, but I think that there are some problems with that, and I'll, have, I'll throw that to you. What are the issues with doing something like that? Yeah, it seems the issues that I've seen with doing something like that is, is, is the substitution. So, so many teams have players they can substitute and they don't lose anything. They, mm-hmm. they, 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 you know, the, the starter uh, and the second player behind him, whatever the package is, is they, they lose nothing. So, you know, a team may always have somebody. I don't, I'll, I'd rather stop them, you know, at this point, you know, gather ourselves with, uh, by feigning injury uh, rather than, you know, that's better than losing this particular player. And, that's, and I'm sure they have one picked out. Right, that, right. That, they can pick uh, a player and say, okay, you're the guy who's going to do this because we don't mind losing you, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, I, and I think we've probably seen scenarios where that, that's the case already. You know the 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 substitute is ready to come in. He comes in instantly when this this other player goes down. They already they already have it planned out. It seems, uh, and 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 I, I you know legislating it, I I struggle with it. I I I don't think you can leg, legislate morality and so to speak or legislate ethics. This is strictly on on coaches and 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 organizations to make sure this doesn't happen and and I don't I don't know if if you 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 know after review you can do something after the fact cuz I, I you know I I rarely think especially you know particularly in the college level players aren't really going to do this on their own there's 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 got to be something at a higher level some some you know controlling authority head coach that that creates the situation creates the 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 unethicalness of 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 doing this and that's that somehow that's where the onus needs to be placed yeah and that's essentially what the plan is as of right now is is a literally appeal to the coaches and say listen this is an embarrassment for the sport we have to do something about it and i do wonder if it was to keep up and if this is a place, I'll ask you, is this a place where somebody who is a coordinator of officials could be involved? If they're going to say, listen, we're going to ship these things, these complaints up to the league offices, and we might review some things. And if we feel like you're doing this, we're not going to penalize your players. We're not going to penalize your team. We're going to penalize you. Do you think if, let's say, you could come up with a system where uh, complaints are reviewed and would a coordinator of, of officials, maybe along with a commissioner or people within the commission, the, the conference office, you think that's possible to review these things and say, listen, we're going to just hit you with a fine or a censure or something along those lines? You know, certainly that's possible. Uh, and that's, you know, in a, in a perfect world that would work extremely well, I think. But as you know, we're, we're getting into conference offices now who have other agendas who have who are beholden to athletic directors and and who deal with very powerful coaches and and presidents and you're putting you're 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 really you're really putting a lot of pressure on these people to you know to 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 make decisions that have a major impact on those programs and and then now you have an AD or a coach or a president who's very unhappy that they were singled out and you know there's there, there's going to be pushback. So you know, like I said, in a perfect world, I think you're right. I think that that's exactly where it needs to be, where where there is a controlling authority that that has the uh, that that has the wherewithal, and you know you know consequences be damned. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna make a statement here. Um, 
whether that exists, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the Power Five conferences, we could probably go through. Yeah, maybe in this conference they have the they can they can do it because of the you know strength. Certainly, like a Jim Delaney, you know, mm-hmm. would certainly have have that uh, that that authority or that you know he's been there so long and and is, is you know as trust as it gets, untouchable basically. Uh, is does that exist everywhere? I don't know. That's a good point. Let me move on to another place where, well, there was one small change made, but there was not the big changes that we've we've talked about in the past. And nothing gets more oxygen or or takes up more oxygen than targeting. The one small change was now players won't be basically escorted off the field, right? You'll be allowed to, even though you're kicked out of the game, you can't play. The ejection for targeting for a targeting foul, you'll be allowed to stay on the bench area and watch the game with your team, which just seems it's an aesthetic more than mm-hmm. something that actually impacts the game. But I also think it's a, probably a respectful thing to do to those kids. We see them get tossed out of games, and again, that walk of shame is probably yeah. not necessary. But I do I agree. But what comes up again all the time is this: Can we do something with targeting to? Maybe not eject everybody, a, a tiered level targeting. And it's been talked about for years. You've talked about it. You actually even remember having a conversation with you a few years ago, and you thought it might even be heading in that direction. Let me yeah. get into that a little bit with you of the idea of a tiered level targeting and why it's so difficult to get to that and why there's been such pushback against it. Well, I, I think the number one reason we can't get there is the commissioners, and this is where it comes from. I mean, throw out the rules committee and competition, whatever. This is this is this is dictated by that that group of ten commissioners. Uh, their fear, and I know this, they they believe that that gives the impression that they're softening on a player safety issue. I, I strongly disagree with that, but they they believe, in their wisdom, thinks that if we back off. If, if, we, if we change it to it, it gives the impression that we're backing off on how important we think it is to protect our players. And, and uh, I just don't think it's true uh, in that case. So that's why it has not changed. Uh, you know, from, from day one when we proposed it in Indianapolis, the Big East did, in the very first meeting when they were deciding to automatically eject players and proposed it, you know, they they. They thought it wasn't strong enough, and, and, and they continue to think that it's not strong enough to, to, to make players and coaches adjust to, to where they need to be with respect to targeting. This is a little bit of a pushback question, not, not much of a pushback, but the idea I've heard from some people who work in officiating is, could you have a tiered system which doesn't in some ways make it more difficult on the officials because now you're asking them to you know, show that maybe A, judge intent, or B, parse smaller points of emphasis to determine, oh, this was an egregious one as opposed to this one which was more of um, incidental contact. So, you know, again, you've been an official for a long time. you worked with a lot of officials. I've heard this from officials, that that would just make it harder. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it does add an, another layer of judgment, certainly, but I would, I would come back with two responses. One, basketball's been doing this fairly successfully for years, uh, the flagrant one and the flagrant two. So there's, there is a system in place where it's been successful. Secondly, we, I believe, especially now, especially seven or eight years into this rule, we have enough experience 
we have seen enough plays to know when a player needs to be ejected. The LSU-Oklahoma play early in the game in the CFP semifinal, that player needed to be ejected. There, I, I would be shocked if anybody would ever disagree with that other than the most hardcore Oklahoma fan. Then you go to the other game with, mm-hmm. with, with uh, Clemson and Ohio State where a player was ejected. Yes, by rule, clearly a foul. I, I would be surprised if you would find anybody that would say that player needed to be disqualified. He did need to be penalized, but he didn't need to be disqualified because it simply didn't rise to the level where either he or his opponent were, were put at a significant risk of, 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 a, of a spinal injury or whatever. So um, I, I believe that, that, yes, there would still be some gray area plays, obviously, but I think we know, we, have a, we really know when a player needs to be disqualified, and I don't think it would be that difficult at this point to put guidelines in to make sure that, that the ones that need to go are, are disqualified and the ones that, you know, you know he, he really tried not to, you know, put somebody at risk of injury. He just gets penalized and not thrown out. And then if he does it again, you know, we can, they, they can. They can throw him out. The counter to that that I've heard is, well, when there were two different levels of face masking penalty, face mask penalties, we found that, and this is, I'll talk as Steve Shaw or Rogers Redding, because I've heard, I've had literally had this conversation, so I'll take his role in this. And what we found is that officials, you know, tended to default to the lesser of the penalties because, well, you know, if it's if it's close, I'd rather not influence the game so much to throw a 15-yarder. I'll throw only the five. And then with uh, in a targeting situation where one foul has an ejection and another one or another level does not have an ejection, the concern is that listen, do you really want to throw these kids out of the game? So the idea is that if it's close, there'll be sort of a deferring or a defaulting to, or even if it's, unless it's the most egregious case, case, there'll be a default to not ejecting. And that just that trend, that out is not a good space to officiating in. So that's sort of the argument. What's your counter to that? In, in, the, in the, the face mask situation, that was back, you know, that was all being made in real time on the field. Okay, so you're, you're making instant judgments. You know, in targeting, obviously, you have video review where you can spend time and look at all the angles and make sure, does it meet the criteria for ejection or not? The second counter I would come with, it, they're already doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, with the rule change last year, they're, they're, they're already deciding whether to throw somebody out or not. Because, you know, if, if replay video doesn't confirm it, the player's going to stay in the game, and they're not even going to be penalized. So they're already doing that. And they, and they had, I, I would say, a, a pretty good amount of success with it. I like the change, and I think it was effective in, in not throwing as many players out or not throwing so many players out that didn't deserve to be thrown out. So, so it, that was effective, and, and so we've seen some success with, with them making that judgment. Um, I, 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 like I said, I think the big thing is we now have experience with all of these plays that we've seen, and, and I would get, I would bet if we got into a room, we, you know, the powers that be would come to agreement on most of them. Should this player be ejected for this offense, or should he not? And and then you would so basically you'd end up with three levels, you know, 
of an ejection, a foul, or nothing at all. And 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 I think you would you would at least minimize players being disqualified who just shouldn't be thrown out. And you know if if the video is such that that it allows for the the replay official to say he does you know he doesn't deserve to be thrown out then he doesn't get thrown out and that's great but the LSU Oklahoma play that he's going to be ejected now a lot of hits on quarterbacks where they launch into the head he's going to be ejected uh, so I, I I I just think it's a better world and and again we have experience with it in college basketball and in and the NBA and and we also now experience with it in college football based on the fact that there really is that judgment being made already. And just to clarify for folks listening, if you don't remember, last year the, it was a pretty big tweak, and I agree with you. I thought it worked out pretty well. The, the tweak to the targeting rule was on the replay end. And essentially yeah. what they said was, what the change was, this can't just stand. You have to confirm it, or then it's overruled, right? Basically, there's there's no yeah. more like the, the the call stands because well, we're not really sure, so we're just going to give the de- we're just going to defer to what goes on in the field. That's that is done normally through most replay reviews, but with targeting, they sort of upped it up a level. And if you couldn't confirm that call in the booth, in that case, it was overturned. And again, I think and the, and the goal literally was, as you said, to eliminate some of the close calls. Oh, I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe not. Nope. If you can't confirm all of the elements there, then in that case, if it's close, we're going to flip that one over. We're going to let that kid stay in the game and we're going to pick up the flag. So you're right. We're already doing some of that. The next level would be to remove the ejection. And I completely agree with you. This is as much about perception and where we are with football and health and safety as anything else. We are in a litigious society, and at this point, college football does not want to be seen as being soft on crime when it comes to targeting. Yes, I agree completely. Now, we brought up a video replay here, so let me ask you, uh, let me get, get into a little bit of that. One of the other tweaks that they're planning on making in college football was a two-minute uh, limit on reviews. The idea is, listen, if after two minutes you're still looking, let's wrap this up. You're, you're, at that point, it's probably inconclusive. And the other part of it is, I, you know, I have, I, I need to get this confirmed and c- circle back around on Steve Shaw. The word guideline was used in there. So I, I, I think when, when we talk about a two minute cap, I have a feeling in reality, it won't be a hard cap to the idea like, okay, we're going to shut the system down at exactly two minutes. And I think if there's a a particularly complicated call and it might need a little more time, there may be some time built in there. But the idea is to encourage, hey, if after two minutes we're going to have a buzzer go off and if you haven't figured it out by then, let's move on. So my my question to you, Terry, is do you think that's a good idea? Well, I'm I'm reading the rule as you speak, and I'm not even sure what this – is is this a rule change? What does this even mean? I, it, it seems to be right, you know, right. like guidance from from the committee that that is has nothing to do with rules because there's as you said there's nothing hard and fast. the The principle is is that what we found, and this is purely anecdotal. The longer the replay goes on, the more likely the replay official is going to get it wrong. Interesting. That that so- has been my experience from day one. With, with instant replay, the longer, I'll say it again, the longer it takes to come up with an answer, the more likely that answer is going to be incorrect. It, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch because I think the mindset is, is the, 
the, the replay official take, takes it into a direction trying to find something rather than, than letting the video that's right in front of him tell him the answer. Uh, I, 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 you know, we, we certainly want to be under two minutes. Uh, I, I, and honestly, as a referee, uh, when I had to do this, when I was making the decision on the field, I don't, I, I, it never took me, I, I never even got close to the one minute NFL requirement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, and I've, I've talked to, you know, when I was a coordinator, I talked to a lot of official, officials or, or coordinators that the answer comes very quickly if you understand what you're looking at. As long as, once you get the right angles you've got, it is very obvious very quickly whether the ruling on the field was clearly correct, whether it was clearly incorrect, or I just don't know. We don't, we don't have enough to tell. Mm-hmm. And... And, and it's funny, I, uh, when I, I actually went to the National Replay uh, uh, Clinic last year and, and got up and, and spoke, said a few words, the toughest question I get from Mike Tirico or Al Michaels, by far, is when we're in instant replay and they turn to me and say, say Terry, what's taking so long? Mm-hmm. It's really amazing because if, if you listen, certainly our broadcast and really a lot of broadcasts, the announcers or the, 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 the rules analyst, they come up with an answer much quicker, and not in every case, but in many cases than the replay official was, and that's not counting the administrative part. Uh, we, under, we understand that. But, but it is, you know, and I know the, the, the replay officials, it's a mindset. They want, it, they want to be right every time, and that's a great, great thing to have as part of their mindset. But sometimes they go looking for things. They don't trust their first judgment on what they're seeing, and then they take it off in, on another tangent. They go looking for, for replays that, that, that may change their mind. I, I, you know, I don't know why they do that, and that's when you start getting into these you know, several-minute reviews. Uh, so it's good that they have this guidance. You know, I like it. Um, I, I think they could do it in a minute myself in most cases, uh, but – it's like I said. I don't really see this as a rule change. Right, um, right. Yeah, and I think that's a that maybe I, I don't even know if I did a good enough job last week of reporting it as to sort of get into the, the that idea that difference between a rule change, a guidance emphasis, and the other thing too is as you said. You know, a lot of times these things take a minute. I, I actually think two minutes is almost an extreme. Like I, I would imagine that there are very few replay reviews that go past two minutes. So even if we eliminated all the ones that go past two minutes, you might not even notice that as a fan. I, I think that's true, and I, I will say, and I think the national average is somewhere around one twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's reasonable because you get so many of these that are ten seconds. Because they've stopped the game when they probably shouldn't have, and they, sure. or they get an immediate re- replay review. So that that kind of brings the average number below of what it really is on legitimate reviews. Gotcha. Um, but but yes, I, I I agree with you completely. Two minutes, uh, in my mind, is also too long in most cases. Sometimes they are dependent on the truck. Uh, not so much anymore with their new systems, but sometimes they don't have what they need, and uh, and there are other technical issues that, that create that. But for you're right, for the most part, one minute is plenty. 
Okay, so we're going to take a little break here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm talking with Terry McCauley. He is a former NFL official, former coordinator of officials in college football, and currently the rules expert official in the booth, so to speak, for uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC and Notre Dame Football on NBC. We'll be back right after this on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. And we're back with Terry McCauley, former NFL official, now with Sunday Night Football and on Notre Dame broadcast. You can see him and hear him do his work on NBC, breaking down rules for the guys in the booth. So, Terry, this is a couple of big, bigger picture questions here. Last year, the SEC was sort of public about this, and the, the Pac-12 got into this a little bit. This idea that we are going to be a little more aggressive when it comes to pushing back maybe on social media, maybe on telecasts and things along those lines, when there is criticism of our officials, we are going to try to blunt some of that criticism and actually take a little bit and say, no, 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 here, we're going to put a Twitter account up and say, no, here's why the that call that you're all complaining about is right. And we're going to try to do some things to publicly support our officials or even publicly reprimand or or correct our officials, but just for the sake of transparency on one hand. And on the other hand, again, just trying to help our officials publicly in a sense and support them publicly because they're getting so crushed these days. I'm wondering what your impression of, I don't know how much you had a chance to really look at what the SEC did, but just the overall theme of being more public in A, holding officials accountable when they're wrong, but also B, supporting them when they are right and they're getting this social media and just public backlash on calls, again, that maybe there's some question about, but they're actually getting right. Yeah, I, I followed it fairly closely because, I'm, you know, the NFL has an officiating Twitter and the SEC kind of followed suit and, and, and picked up on it as well. I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's effective for, for putting rules and guidance, guidelines out. You know whether it be about a specific play or in general, I I'm good with that. But but once you once you start getting into the weeds of of of, of game changing decisions or game impacting decisions, then it becomes really problematic. I mean, I would say that the SEC efficient account may be one of the top ten most ratioed accounts uh, <laughs> on Twitter uh, because you know the the tendency is. All right, well, you've supported your guy here and here and here, but what about this play? Why didn't you talk about this play where you clearly got it wrong? And it just goes, it's a slippery slope that you can't win. I mean, you can't win ever. It may help in some in very few instances, but overall, people know that this is the group in charge of the officiating, and they're going to protect them whenever possible. Uh, and and people don't trust their credibility, even though they are in many cases quite credible. They 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 lack the trust factor that they need to be effective in that in that world. 
so I, I I wish they would you know kind of eliminate most of that, uh, putting out things like which conferences officiating their games uh, is 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 not is not a good idea at all. So I know why they do it, but they can't come out and grade every you know evaluate every crew every play of every game. So how do you balance, you know, talking about what we got correct and what we didn't get correct and still, you know, support your official? It's, it's, it's extremely – we talked about it when I was, you know, a coordinator, and, and we just came up with that it was a no-win, no-win situation, and we tried to avoid it unless it was indeed a play that rose to the level where the conferences – or the or the game itself, it needed to be addressed to for the for the, the sake of that. So a couple of things. I almost feel like in in some ways the conferences, and I'm not saying I, I could do this job as efficiently. I mean, my reach is as big, but in some ways they are better off allowing the reporters to do this to a certain degree. When there is a controversial call in a game. The way my job is set up now, I tend to often on Saturdays, I'm not at one game, but I'll be watching many games. And when I see uh, when I see on Twitter, because it's part of my job too, to sort of like follow where the stories might go. And if I see a, a call that might be a little controversial, or I see sort of a, um, a growing sentiment on Twitter that something was done wrong in a game, I will often text someone like you text someone like Rogers Redding or Steve Shaw or somebody in authority and say, hey, can you explain this rule to me, why this was called that way? I don't know if you saw this play. Maybe you did. Here's the play. And I will try to be a vehicle because I just think it's a, it's good reporting and it's a smart thing to do to sort of say, listen, here that, that rule that you're wondering about, uh, I'll give you a good example of this. When uh, in the Iron Bowl, when Auburn made that what turned out to be a really smart play, and that, that sort of suckered, they had their punter on the field, and they sort of suckered Alabama into a too many men on the field call. People were tweeting at me, well, how can they make that call before the play starts? Like, don't you have to give the team the ability to run off the field? And I quickly texted a couple of officials I know, and they gave me the rule, and I explained it on Twitter. And even that didn't satisfy all the Alabama fans. But nonetheless, so I feel like, I don't know if in some ways I think using the media to do that job might be more effective than having it come directly from the league office. I couldn't agree more, Ralph. And, and, and a lot of what I do when I, when I tweet these, I mean, I, I do almost the same thing you do at, a, at kind of a different, different perspective. I have a standing you know, tweet or a search, Twitter search where it's, where it's NFL officiating or SEC officiating or Big 12 or, or whatever, and and, and that's how I discovered there may be something amiss somewhere. It might not, not necessarily right or wrong, but some play has risen to a level that, that, that maybe I need to discuss from a rules perspective uh, so, so we, we can get it out there. And I've, I've really, as I talked earlier, I, I've tried to establish credibility. I'm just going to tell you whether, what the rule is and whether I think it's right or not, whether, how, how it was applied here. You know? and, and I rarely, I rarely get pushback you're only protecting your guys or your your fraternity, because I don't do that. I I, I tried. I make speci- you know specifically. I don't go looking for all the things they do. They get almost every. They get most things right. We know that. But I want to be. I want to be straightforward. And then, 
I'll put these things out, and then yourself and a lot of the other you know really great sports writers, I think, pick up on that and say, okay, here's here's what it should be, here's what it should have been, right, wrong, whatever, and 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 the level of outrage kind of kind of diminishes somewhat because now people understand if it's wrong, whatever, why, what what just happened, and I trust this person that gave it to me. People trust you at reporting it more than they trust the SEC saying this is what it is because they, everybody always thinks there's this conspiracy or an ulterior motive. So, so they question their motive before they even read the answer, uh, whereas they don't do that with you, and I don't think they do with that with, with, with me anymore in most cases. And I think that's really important to the community. Uh, just real quickly, you recall the LSU-Texas A&M uh, game seven overtimes a couple years sure. ago. Well, about six calls in a row went against LSU late in the game and in overtimes, in the mm-hmm. overtimes. And uh, obviously there was outrage in, in Louisiana like you couldn't believe. Well, I looked at every one of them, and five of the six, the first five, yeah, they were right. There was a little issue here and there, but, but they were right. And then the seventh, sixth one, they got wrong. Well, I, you know, I, you know that, that gets picked up in the Baton Rouge paper. It gets picked up on, you know, I do an interview on ESPN Radio in, in, in Baton Rouge, and the level of outrage just kind of went down. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas the SEC could never have put out, we actually got the first five plays right in the sixth one. They, they couldn't have done that. Nobody would have believed them, you know, even though they were tr- doing the right thing. So that's, that's and I, I, think I'm, I'm, I think we're saying the same thing, that you and I share that role of, 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 of being accurate without without a bias going in. You know, mm-hmm. people don't think, well, Terry or Ralph or, or whoever's doing the, the, the commenting has an, an agenda. With, with, they're just, all they're doing is trying to, trying to tell us, well, here's the facts. And people like that, I think. I, I think that's very true, and which is a good opportunity for me to do this. At SNF Rules, SNF stands for Sunday Night Football, at SNF Rules is Terry McCauley's Twitter handle. And it is a good follow because, again, Terry will get out there and, quite frankly, Terry's, again, not afraid to say, hey, they got this one wrong. Or I think, in my judgment, I would have called it this way. He is definitely not out here to protect officials. I think he is out there to protect his own reputation and to get it right. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is, if you do your job well, that is really protecting the officials. You're doing the, the officials a valuable service by simply getting it right. I want to ask... Thanks for well, the plug. <laughs> well, there you go. So, I, so I would seriously, I would absolutely recommend that for for college football fans to follow Terry on Twitter because, again, uh, as opposed to waiting for me or tweeting at me, hey, did I get that rule right? Maybe a lot of times, what I'll end up doing is just go to Terry's feed and retweet, or again, maybe follow up with a text to Terry. Hey, can you explain this? So, the last thing I want to get into you with, you mentioned it a little bit. It's sort of at the core of a lot of what we just talked about. I know you've been somewhat uh, critical. I think is a fair word, or at least uh, analytical about it, this idea that we have SEC officials and we have Big 12 officials. And a few years back, college football in general through the commissioners and the NCAA tried to get away from that idea that there are regional officials that are tied and paid by conferences because then and you'll have an SEC crew officiating the Clemson-Ohio State 
playoff game. And if things don't go well for Ohio State, it's very easy for Ohio State fans to go, oh, that SEC crew was against us. And you think that that's something that some work has been done, but more work, I think, needs to be done on making this national. So I was wondering your thoughts on that and if there are solutions and ways that college football can go about creating less regional, the officials and the conferences are in bed together, even if that's only perception, how can you fight that perception? Right. I Yes, I, I've kind of been on this well. I think college is more national game than it's ever been. Uh, I think a game that happens in Gainesville, Florida, affects somebody in Corvallis, Oregon, more than ever before. I, I, so, so it's really become, you know, it's not regionalized anymore. SEC doesn't have its own little piece of the world, and that's all they worry about. Their games affect everybody else. Uh, and, and I think the worst thing about college officiating is, indeed, that officials have labels on them. Because the most important thing an official can ever have is, is his, his or her integrity. That's the bottom line. They're the protectors of the sport. They have no other motive other than to get every single play right. That's their, that's their whole agenda and nothing but the agenda they have. They don't, obviously, sometimes, but it's just because of human failure, no other reason. Those conference labels, there are people in charge of those officials that do have do have agendas. They, they, they have vested interests in particular outcomes of games. You know, they're good people, but they do have vested interests. And a lot of time, that is, that is money. That vested interest is strictly money. And, and because, and I've been through this, if, if there are officiating issues during the season and it hurts the monetary situation of the conference at the end of the season, there's going to be investigations and, and emails and, and responses required. And AD's extremely upset in spring meetings about officiating, as opposed to if, if, if the officiating goes well and, and, and maybe there's a miss and, and the conference comes ahead, gets ahead, well, it was just a human error. We, we don't worry about it so much. So there are people, and, and, and they're good people. I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying there's, there's, there's intentional, but they do have vested interest in the outcome, and they're in charge. They hire the coordinators. They, they, they put them through all kinds of, of, uh, of, of situations that they've got to deal with because of errors, and it may affect the conference. So, so, and then you go to the built-in you know, perception of fans who, who are the lifeblood of our, you know, of our business who think that something's amiss before the game even starts. So heaven help a close call go against a team that, in an upset situation that 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 prop may that impacts the the, the final outcome. Well, mm-hmm. conspiracy is the first thing that comes comes out of it comes into people's minds, and I don't think that's fair. It 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 hurts it hurts officiating, and it hurts the sport. So, I I really believe that that getting those labels off, whether it be a regional system, a national system, uh, a combination thereof, at least. Gets the gets the fans understanding, and I, I, I granted there's going to be some that they're always going to have conspiracies. But the the average fans say, okay, we're okay before we even start. And if there is a miss, then he just made a mistake or she just made a mistake, and you know that happens in sports rather than Birmingham or Dallas or Greensboro, whatever had a hand in this, had a hand in in, in a decision that 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 actually helped 
conference or whatever, and, and, and it's just something that needs to be done. As, as a quick background, Walt Anderson had done a proposal in coordination with, with some, of the, some of the other coordinators uh, five or six years ago and, and presented it to the commissioners, and they, they, they just threw it in the trash. They, they, didn't want to, they don't want to give up their, their control, and that's what this is all about. It's, it's having control over their officiating world, which is a big aspect of their business. And they're, they're, they don't want to do it. Uh, I, I can tell you, Ralph, I am not popular in Birmingham or Greensboro or, or any of these <laughs> other places because I do say this. And they don't, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to be part of the, 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 the conversation. But I, I think it needs to be and continue needs, continually needs to be part of the conversation until they understand the sport needs credibility and it needs integrity. And as long as there's those labels on the officials, there's, it's going to be somewhat lacking. Right, because it's the perception of a lack of integrity and credibility that is really what, what's grinding away here. I think almost everybody involved, in fact, I'll, I'll say everybody involved uh, wants to do the right thing, is coming at this in the right way. I don't believe in any of the conspiracy theories and the favored team gets the call and things along those lines. But it's all about and trust me, as someone who works in a business where it's all about perception, credibility is based completely upon perception. I understand that. And you're right. Anything that eats into that perception, I think, is a problem. One very last one, Terry, and this is a very, very big picture question for you. And I asked it of a couple of officials, I guess it was either last year or maybe two years ago, that I took part in the spring game at Georgia. The SEC does this program where they bring in members of the media and you get to learn to be an official. You get a 24-hour crash course and then they throw you on the field at the spring game at Georgia and you have to do the job. And I got to talk to some very good officials at that event. And I asked them simply the question of, why are you still doing this? This job has never been harder. You have never faced more criticism, more scrutiny, and things along those lines. And they gave me some really great answers about loving the game and being passionate and, and how, they, how much they took pride in doing it right and just being part of this great game. So I'll ask you, are there enough of those people still out there? Do you think that in the long run, while I was talking to veteran officials who've been doing it in a while, when you talk to younger folks entering the business, do you think that there are going to be enough of a steady flow of talent that you'll still have quality officials uh, at high levels? Because it's just getting really hard to do this job. And at a certain level, we all want to be appreciated a little bit, right? Right, and, and, and it's a great question, and there's no question the pool is narrowed. There's no question there are a lot of people that don't get into this business that would probably be outstanding because, you know, they, they don't want to go through that, that, that issue of somebody's always going to be yelling and criticizing me. Uh, I mean, we've certainly had a culture change in, 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 in this country over the last many years. I mean, when I was growing up, there, the sticks and stones, you know, a little, 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 not really cliche, but that really was effective. Names will never hurt me. So I grew up. You can call me anything you want to. I, it's not going to bother me. And, and, and I think it's pretty safe to say our, our, our you know, the culture, the, the millennials and, 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 and after that, they don't, they don't get a lot of that criticism growing up. So you can't, you can't have, expect a 22-year-old to all of a sudden be able to handle that because they've never been criticized before in their life. And this is pretty big criticism. This is pretty brutal, as you, as you right. said. <laughs> so, so there's no question that, that has an impact on the pool. I'm hoping 
that that the the even though the pool's narrowed, at some point players and you know ex players, high school, whatever will realize. Okay, coaching is one path, but officiating is also another great path. And whether it be high school, college, or the NFL, or whatever, it is it is such a thrill when you walk off the field and you've done a great job. And and whether somebody yell at you or not, you know in your heart you have done a service to the game, to the the players, however old they are, to the fans, to the coaches. You've allowed them to play this game. And it and it was completed with integrity, and the you know everybody did the best they could, and it's a feeling, it's a it's a rush you get after a game when of a job well done. I mean, when you write an article and you know something, I nailed this one, kind of thing. It's 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 just human nature, and and it's it's kind of brings you know it's somewhat competitive as well because you are competing when you're out there on the field to to make sure it's right, you know, make sure you do what's right. And and it's 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 a uh, you know a sense of you almost not a sense of euphoria but somewhere along those lines, gosh I did good today and if you don't then you get that that ability to say God I got to be better next time so so you're competing with yourself to be better there's so many aspects that that there is, that you know people stay with it that 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 if if we can get those players who who've had that as players can to understand you can also have that as an official maybe maybe the pool will not continue to shrink uh but that being said all that being said Ralph if it you know and this is in every sport if if the pools do continue to shrink you you're going to have issues with the game itself uh because the numbers aren't going to be there at the high school level to to have these games even and 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 as much as people would like to have games without officials you can't have them it's not, <laughs> it's not going to happen so it is a it is a it is a major problem whether it's a crisis yet i don't know but 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 the trend needs to change the downward trend needs to needs to bottom out and and and, and come back up for the for getting people in and and and, and i i will finish this with saying Fans are always going to be fans. You're not going to get them to stop criticizing or yelling or whatever. So it's it's going to have to come within from from pe- people who want to get into this business that they understand that for the most part people are yelling at a uniform and they're not yelling at the person or criticizing the person. It's the uniform. And and once you understand that, maybe maybe we'll get some more people into it. Terry McCauley, you can see him and hear him. Uh, as the rules expert on Sunday Night Football and on Notre Dame broadcasts, both on NBC. He's a longtime NFL official and coordinator of officials in college. And, Terry, man, that was great stuff. I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through what's going on in college and with officiating in general. Thanks, and have a, have a great off season if such a thing exists. I know you still keep pretty busy, officials do, during the off season. I mean, there's clinics and things along those lines and watching games. So uh, have a great off season. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it uh, immensely. And now, three and out. First down. The Combine has come to a close, and I'll continue a point I made last week. The athleticism we see from these players is moving to incomprehensible levels. 300-pound defensive linemen running 4740s is absurd. So when you watch them, Take a minute to tie it back to things like targeting and other rules that have been implemented 
with a nod toward health and safety in recent years. Anytime someone laments that football isn't played the way it used to be and that some of the physicality is being legislated out of the game, just think about the size, speed, and athleticism of the current players compared to even 20 years ago. These players can't play the game the way it used to be played because if they did, it would be at least 10 times more dangerous. Second down. So I was talking with an SEC assistant coach about Scott Cochran's move from Alabama strength and conditioning coach to Georgia special teams coach. And his theory kind of falls in line with what I was thinking, but the way he said it really crystallized my thoughts. So I thought I would give it to you. Kirby Smart hiring away Scott Cochran was as much as anything about Kirby trying to perpetuate a public perception and a public narrative that Alabama is currently vulnerable coming off of a 10 and 2 season and Georgia having higher rated recruiting classes a couple of times in the last three years, regardless of how Cochran does at Georgia as special teams coach, there was value in smart taking something valuable away from Nick Saban at this particular time, simply to show that he could. That might not mean much September 19th in Tuscaloosa when Georgia plays Alabama in the regular season for the first time in forever, but it certainly adds intrigue to the SEC rivalry. Third down, something to bank away as we roll toward the long and winding preview slash talking season for college football. Last year, human poll voters were high on Texas because they overreacted to the 2018 season's final results, which included 10 wins and a bowl victory against Georgia. Computer rankings were not so optimistic about the Longhorns. They spotted Texas as overachievers in 2018 due for regression in 2019. I tend to go with the machine. So I was very cautious about Texas last year, even though they went into last season as a top 10 team. And I expected a slide back. To be fair, the Longhorns slid a little further back than I probably even thought. This year, the opposite is going to happen. Texas returns a ton of production. And the computer models early on here are spotting a team that probably underachieved a bit last year and are forecasting a significant bounce back for Texas. Meanwhile, the humans are probably going to be a little more skeptical, but because it's Texas, maybe not as skeptical as with some other schools. Texas is an interesting case study of the pros and cons of both human polls and computer models. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcast and on Westwood One Podcast. Anywhere you like to get your podcast, please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. 
regions. Member FDIC.